Hello and welcome to a very special episode of SoccerCast Chicago. You could argue the biggest episode we've ever done on this show. It remains to be seen if it'll be our longest show, but this will certainly be the most voices you will have ever heard on one episode. Uh, To introduce my guests, seeing as the only other way we've ever all been on a call together was in a Chicago Fire press conference, I think I might as well just go in the same order that those calls always go. So first up from the Chicago Sun-Times, Mr. Brian Sandalo, Brian, how you doing tonight? I am just fine. I am uh, I'm not bad. You know, all things considered, uh, been a pretty, pretty rough 2020 for everybody involved. But um, all things considered, I guess could be doing worse. And uh, good to talk to all you people. Uh, I miss the dulcet tones of all your voices. <laughs> Next up, Mr. Jeremy McCoola, Chicago Tribune. Jeremy, happy, uh, happy Tuesday. What's up? Uh just looking forward to the end of 2020 and hoping that, you know, three, four weeks from now, we'll all be in a better place. Cheers to that. Next up from Hot Time in Old Town at SB Nation, Pat McCraney. Pat, how's it going? Alex, I'm doing well. Uh, just happy to be following Jeremy again. <laughs> As is tradition. And finally tonight from The Athletic, Mr. Guillermo Rivera, who I believe was the first ever journalist to come on an episode of SoccerCast. So, Come a long way with the show and Mr. Guillermo Rivera. Using the word journalist loosely. Yeah, I've, uh, uh, like Brian said, 2020 has been uh, rough for everybody all across the board. I've been uh, sort of missing in action the last few months, but uh, it's not to say I haven't been watching the fire and paying attention. I just uh, have been distracted onto other real life um, episodes, but uh, hopefully I'll get back soon. Absolutely. And you know, it would be good to see you all again in person at the same time. I know we caught each other all toward the end of the year and various games. But yes, here is to 2020 finally being over and to better things both in the world and on the soccer fields in Chicago. Um, so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk, you know, in part 2020, a little bit about the season that was. Although I think all of us have talked and written a lot on that. So some of that, you know, we'll try to, you know, not repeat ourselves too much and then uh, – get into some news that's been on the docket so far for the fire since the season ended. We've got some new signings to discuss. And then finally, a bit of a mailbag. We got some questions submitted on Twitter. So thank you if you sent those in and we will go over those. But um, the way we're going to start, rather than me kind of going through a structured list of, hey, here's what happened to the fire in 2020, because if you're listening, you probably are very well versed in what happened to this team in 2020. I think we're just going to go around and each of us are going to kind of – give an observation, a topic, a comment on the year that was, and we'll kind of uh, break it out from there. So I'm going to go in a circle on the Zoom screen that I'm looking at. And uh, Patrick McCraney, Pat, we're going to start with you. You are in my top left. So when you think fire in 2020, what's, what do you think is the first thing you're going to remember about this season? Uh, I think it started with the uh, bad logo rollout that <laughs> um, kind of put a damper on things. There was a point during the year where I was pretty hopeful around the Seattle victory at MLS's back. I'm like, hey, we might actually have something here. And then, no, obviously we didn't. Um, there were, a, you know, a few bright spots, but all in all, it's there's a lot of stuff to fix here. Yeah, um, are we? Um, how, how we feel? The fire have said there. There's probably another reworked logo coming. Mansueto has alluded to it. Our uh... What's our what's our level of optimism on how on how they're going to do with uh with a second swing at this? And that's I think they know they can't get it wrong. At least I I hope they know that. So 
Um, getting it wrong once is okay, whatever, we can forgive that. If they get it wrong twice, that would be pretty yeah. terrific. So I just hope they get this one right. They can't possibly get it wrong twice. There's a lot of good fan source stuff out there. Um, I agree. I was hopeful around the Seattle game. Minnesota, that loss dampered that. And we really never saw much uh, a whole lot of optimism beyond that. This okay. time, if, they do, if they're going to do it right, they should listen to the majority of their fan base. Mm -hmm. and that would normally be Take into account what it is they're upset with. Yeah. And try to at least uh, get some of that good faith back that they lost with uh, going basically against everything that uh, most of the fan base uh, sort of cherished about uh, uh, the history of the club. It seems like a, it was an attempt to whitewash uh, a portion of the past 20 years and uh, it backfired on them. So I yeah. think, you know, trying to erase the last 10 years um, because of uh, a lack of success on the field. I mean, there's some sense in that, but uh, going back and, you know, just doing away with, uh, you know, things that uh, some of the original hardcore fan base held dear, like tradition on her passion or the, uh, the, the logo itself. And, you know, just changing the silly things like uh, be, be football, be Chicago, which mean absolutely nothing. And, uh, at some point, they have to address that seriously. Yeah. So I was going to save this till later in the show, but it fits in really well now. So I'm going to just throw it out there now. Um, there was some news this week uh, on this front about this exact topic. Uh, Fire and Barcelona legend Christo Stoichkov talked to Felipe Cardenas at The Athletic, uh, Guillermo's colleague, and said this about the fire when he was, uh, when he was asked about them. Quote, I'll tell you honestly, it pains me that the Chicago Fire are not at that level, and it's because of Nelson Rodriguez, said Stoichkov. That team doesn't win and can't make the playoffs, so I ask myself, why is Rodriguez there? They have a foreign sporting director. He's Swiss. Their coach, who doesn't know anything about MLS, is Swiss. They're friends. The Chicago Fire don't deserve to have those people there, especially Rodriguez. He was a paper pusher in MLS when I got to the league, and now he's a club executive. Please, what are we doing? I don't know who their president is now, but how is Chicago's jersey no longer red? Chicago's badge is Chicago's badge. You can't change it. That's nonsense. People shouldn't, be for, people shouldn't forgive Nelson Rodriguez for that. They don't go to the stadium because of him. So, obviously, there's a lot of strong feelings about Nelson Rodriguez there. Now, fire, I guess, president. I don't even know what his title is at this point. He's, not He's president. He's president. So, president of the club. Yeah. And mixed in there, really strong feelings about the branding. So my simple question to you guys, I have thoughts on this, but I want to turn it to you guys first, is uh, is he right? I don't think Nelson Rodriguez is why your average fan doesn't go to a fire game. I mean, yeah, he might be the reason that diehards don't go, that, that are the, you know, the a lot of people that are on the hashtag and the ones that are reading our stuff and emailing us and commenting. But I don't think Nelson Rodriguez is why a family of four from uh from Northbrook decides not to go to a fire game I, I just don't think that's the reason I, I don't think they want those people that you need to have fans to have to fill a stadium is why um I, I don't think Nelson Rodriguez is keeping those people from the stand from the stand when they'll be allowed to be back I'm sure I mean there are obviously things that he and the fire could have and should have done better but he's not the reason that the fire have declined over the last decade. 
he's yeah, done he's only been there wrong. a part of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and he's not why, yeah, people don't go to games. So, I mean, clearly, Visto uh, has a lot to say. And a lot of it, you know, you could certainly uh, say is accurate. I mean, the fire should be wearing red. The logo rollout didn't work out. But uh, I don't know if I bought all of it. Yeah, the piece that I think I probably took the biggest argument with is, I mean, again, I think he's a little harsh on Nelson. Nelson's only piece of it. Like, if you go to, let's say, the Cubs are an exception because Theo Epstein is such a character. But if you go to, like, a White Sox game, like, especially the years where they were, you know, filling the stadium better, you know, what percentage of the people in the building really knew much about who the GM was or, like, his history with the team? It's not, the, to your point, it's not the thing. Yeah, it's that, not direct. It's indirect, right? Like, yeah, if, if yeah. Nelson's... I guess Nelson would have kept people away because whatever role he had in the team being bad, if the team was good, they would have gone. I think that, I think that, you know, the vast majority of the, like you said, Brian, the people that read our stuff and that follow the hashtag know him and and have strong opinions on him. But yeah, I don't think most people actually know who he is and that's kind of the way it should be. So are they staying away because of him? No, not directly, but indirectly, if the team was good, the place would have been full. We saw that in, in 2017. So yeah. we, I think we would have seen it again at Soldier Field if they were good. If the team's not good, people don't go. People use their discretionary income elsewhere. Yeah. And also the piece about um, Wiki and Heights both being Swiss and being friends. It's like they're less friends than they are former colleagues who worked together and did some good things at Basel. Obviously, we could get more into if we wanted. The, the jury's still out on them, though. Yeah, the hiring. Uh, yeah, the, the I would like to give them another absolute, season before we. The jury is absolutely out on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say the jury is more. Oh, sorry, Gary. Do you want to go ahead? Yeah, no, I, I don't know that he meant that. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're being Swiss played any part in uh, how they did last year. I, I think mm-hmm. he was alluding to bringing in guys who aren't familiar with MLS and don't know right. the system and don't know how to work around uh, the peculiarities of the league. Which Heights still referenced in his postseason uh, mm-hmm. presser. Uh, he still talked about how much Eddie Rock, who a uh, very valuable yeah. guy, uh, obviously, how much Eddie Rock is still helping him. And that it's almost been a year that that sort of uh, caught my attention, that quote, that he's still learning everything. Um, that was a little surprising. Um, but yeah, the jury's still out on them, as uh, Risto uh, s- sort of got to. But uh, yeah, there's I certainly have some questions, and uh, it should be a very interesting 2021. Uh, <laughs> and can't wait for 2021 for a lot of reasons. <laughs> I would I would actually say that the jury's probably more out on Wiki than it is on Heights. Um, we kind of know what Heights wants to do or how he wants to build a team. It's more like, is Wiki a good enough coach to? you know, take this very young team and actually make them competitors um, with that regard. You know I mean? I, I just feel that, you know, I feel like the jury's more out on Wiki because, you know, Heights isn't the one blowing two goal leads. You know what I mean? Yeah. When we mentioned the Minnesota game in particular, um, Columbus game, uh, just other games they've had, leads where they just drop points. Um, you know, that's not really on the sporting director as much as it's on the uh the coach so except, the co- except the coach though was the sporting director's choice well this true yeah the other thing but it's also he had like weeks to find a new coach and build a team so i think you know right the situation really was very poorly done last year yeah 
But the point about the familiarity with MLS is a good one. Um, one of my favorite soccer podcasts when I'm ne- when you know networking on this one is uh, the over at the Athletic. Another reference to Guillermo's friends, uh, allocation disorder with Sam Stasco, Paul Tenorio, both uh, friends of the fire in years past. Um, something they mentioned this past week and that they've talked about before. If you look at the teams that do well in MLS. Where, where are the decision makers coming from? I mean, you look at this year and the teams that were down to the wire. You've got Brian Schmetzer, Caleb Porter, Bruce Arena, mm-hmm. All-American, and Adrian Heath, who's been coaching in MLS and in the United States for a very long time in general. And if you look at the clubs, you know, that have done really well even recently, while there has been this increase in foreign hires for managers and foreign hires for general managers, sporting directors, whatever – the guys who have been there and done that are still the ones getting it done. And again, MLS Cup this coming weekend is a, another perfect example of that. Caleb Porter and Brian Schmetz are guys who are living and breathing MLS people, just kind of to their core. So yeah, it's certainly something to see. I think I agree that the jury is still out. Um, Brian, I was going to go to you next. Sure. I got off on that tangent. So for you, Thinking about this season, you know, other than obviously, I think I agree with Pat that the biggest thing this year was everything that went wrong with the rebrand. When you think about this season, what what kind of what sticks out? Well, remember you and I saw each other at the uh, the fire at an open house. I think it was in October. Remember, uh, they in October of last year, and I told you that something that I was gonna be watching was all the business side stuff uh, during the twenty twenty season. That was something that I was going to focus on about attendance and how much everything was, how much they were getting back into the market. Well, we can't judge. We can't judge any of it because of COVID. And I, I don't know what the TV ratings were. I know that Joe Mansueto told me that the ratings were strong and that WGN was happy with everything. But you can't judge anything because there were no fans and no one has any money to spend anything and no one's in a good mood to do anything. And nobody's going to, even next year, who's going to want to go sit in a game, even if there's a vaccine? There's going to be people who won't trust the vaccine. There's people who won't get the vaccine. Maybe the vaccine won't work. So the whole business part of this was something I was fascinated in. Everyone who's read my stuff knows that. You know that. Everyone on this podcast knows that. And I never, we didn't get an answer. And that's sort of, uh, really want to know how all this is going to work. And we don't know. Because the fire are a sports story, obviously, but they're also a very interesting business study. And we got no answers about that. And I don't know when we're going to. So that's something that I really wanted to find out this in 2020. And we we just didn't. And obviously through nobody's fault uh, around here anyway. And there's no really knowing when we're going to, because if you think about the timing of everything, the fire we're in the worst possible situation. Uh, if my memory is correct, they were, so St. Patrick's Day is kind of my mental barometer for when everything stopped. And that was the weekend before the fire were scheduled to open at Soldier Field. So, well, yeah, they, the, everything stopped March 12th. Uh, yeah. If you remember, because um, 9, 10, 11, uh, the March 11th was the night that Rudy Gobert uh, tested positive in the NBA where everything stops. Then, then yeah. everything stopped the next day. <laughs> And no one will ever forget that. That was the longest year of my life that night. And um, March 12th was when everything stopped. Now you wonder, I remember I was walking outside, I think the last day of February or March 1st, thinking, man, this would have been a beautiful day for a fire game. Mm-hmm. Instead, they were in Seattle. So who knows if they had, you know, I wonder if they're 
obviously you can't kick yourself, but I wonder if they think, man, what if we had played that first week of the year? But yeah, such is all. You, you were scheduled to have what, at least 40,000 in the building. They were hoping for more. And they were, they said, they told me multiple times tracking for a sellout. And mm-hmm. so yeah. the idea that you were going to have 60,000 people at a fire game, which just that sentence doesn't even register. It didn't involve Manchester United. Yeah. Yeah. Now that said, I know they gave away a lot of tickets. They were, if you no. were a season ticket holder, but that's the right thing. They, they did the right thing there. Absolutely. They should have been giving them out like candy to try to get them in the building. Like the red stars did when the women came back from the world cup in 2019. So that was, it was going to be awesome. It was going to be awesome to see that place full or close to full and, and, no, that was one of the many things that we got taken away from us. So yeah, but you know yeah. that that initial impact. Now that Brian's talking about the business side, that would have created that short burst or that short uh, amount of buzz about uh, a big crowd at at home. But you think about as a year drug on, uh, how successful would that team have been in drawing people to Soldier Field with the results they had? Who knows? Now they've got a little bit of a reprieve where they can go back and sort of redo that all again if they can be successful yeah. and kind of reboot all of that with, hey, let's open up Soldier Field. Let's. Um, but but it's just not going to feel the same though. No, it, it just won't yeah. be the same, and there's going to be the sense of mourning a little bit because who knows how many hundreds of thousands of people will have died of COVID by the time they can do that. The economy, who knows what the economy is going to be like the next time? Just there's not going to be the same vibe. Through no fault of their own, they lost that chance. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's, and, it's going to be gradual. Instead of going from zero to 50 or 60K, mm-hmm. you're going to go from zero to 10. And then 10 will be 15. And then 15 might be 20. And then you'll probably just end up in – I mean, the eventual equilibrium was never going to be more than probably 30,000 anyway. But, like, you're just going to – you're going to slowly build up to and eventually hit whatever that equilibrium was going to be anyway, never, have gotten, never having gotten that high of – Hey, we can put fifty thousand in the building. Like you, you've yeah, lost I mean, the occasion for that, and you don't that know can, that won't get to thirty if you're in tenth place either. Right, right, that won't. But who knows how many people they would have won over that first day? You well, don't know. They, well, you have to remember though, Brian. You remember because you were there. Guillermo, you were there too. Um, don't know Alex if, and Patrick, if you guys were, but on the Soldier Field announcement day, which of course got usurped by. Schweinsteiger's sudden <laughs> retirement announcement. But Mansueto had said that, you know, they were actually targeting more like 25,000 as a regular right. soldier field number. So, I mean, even, even that number isn't, you know, that high either. So it's yeah. not, I mean, but, you know, would they have struggled this year to get 25 if there wasn't a pandemic? You know, that's a fair question to ask. We all know. Yeah. Well, and we'll never know. And that's the thing about 2020 yeah. in general. It's, um, you know, especially looking at MLS, it's in, in one sense, you can be like, oh, you had S- Seattle's probably going to win in the end. And, you know, the teams that people expected to be good were good. But again, with the fire, with the entire overhaul, the short run up, uh, uh, you know, with manager and a, and a sporting director coming in in January and all of it and just all of it, it's the fires unknown, I think, is maybe greater than any team in the league. We have n- almost no idea what this team would have been in a normal year. We saw them play a bit, but I think we'd all agree this, this team was not, you know, they, this team didn't have chemistry. No, you, no, 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 you, no, no, no. You <laughs> are what your record is. You are what your record is. And you know what? They had three training camps. Yeah, I know the stop, start playing games. You want to play games, but they had three training camps and that they won five games out of 23 and they were cr- they were so creative in finding ways to drop points. I wish I was that creative as a writer <laughs> and reporter. 
you are what your record is. That's right. And you know what Seattle is what Seattle is. Columbus is what Seattle is what Columbus is. You are what your record is. You are what your results are. The Fire won five out of 23 games. I don't want to hear about the excuses, you know. Uh, Inter-Miami and Inter-Miami and Nashville, what league were they in last year? How many new players did they bring in? Where did they finish? Where did the Fire then finish? How about, no, Orla- how about are- Orlando? You know, Orlando, Orlando was the coach. best. Orlando yeah. finished below the fire yeah. last year. Yeah. They also have a new coach, albeit one that you know knows the league and is very good at getting the most out of players in the league. But right, you know, Orlando was worse than the fire last year. Yeah, you are what your record is. You, they won five out of twenty-three games. They had two. They had must-win game to end the season. What happened? Oof. They had the game against Vancouver in Orlando. What happened? You are what your record is, and every team was dealing with COVID. It's not like the Fire were the only team dealing with a pandemic or dealing with a changed roster. You are what your record is. They finished 11th, so that's where we have to evaluate them. Yep. Gosh, why did I get so upset all of a sudden? Because you <laughs> You're wanted just that to say that in a press yeah. conference all year. <laughs> it's, it, it's like me on a deadline when my computer starts to act fuzzy. But, uh, just your general demeanor, I think. <laughs> well, hey, I'm top of the league right now, Patrick. <laughs> hey, there's our first Tottenham Hoffman. Uh, yeah. I don't want to yeah. talk about it. <laughs> All right, so on, I th- on that note, uh, Guillermo, I think we'll go to you then next. Looking at the season, so we've touched branding, we've touched the business and the, the missed opportunity. W- what else to you, what about this year stands out? Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of – the year was rushed from the decision to move the soldier field and jam their way out of Toyota park and ram their way into soldier field to waiting too long to make a move on the coaching staff and the technical staff and rushing uh, heights and wiki into positions where they had to rush a roster together. Um, all of that is what you're seeing now that that five wins out of the 23 is a result of, all of that. You know, the off, Field uh, mistakes are, uh, I, I think they're recoverable if they if they go about it the right way. Um, I think they, uh, I think the cost that you see that you're going to see of rushing a roster like this together is that they're tied into uh, mm-hmm. some long-term deals with a lot of players that probably weren't as good as they thought they were going to be in, in 2020. Uh, they're tied in with uh, Ignacio Aliceda and uh, you know. He's obviously not a DP caliber player in MLS, at least not for a good team. Um, you know, Gaston Jimenez is um, pretty good. Uh, Robert Barrage, pretty good. And, and I, But again, those guys, your DPs have to be game changers if you're going to compete and uh, advance in the playoffs or compete for any sort of uh, trophies in, in MLS, even, even, even though the talent disparity is, is pretty close. But your DPs have to be game changers. And I'm not sure that their DPs are game changers at the level of the better teams in the league. Um, you know, Robert Barrett is pretty good. But if he's your best player, you're probably not going to compete with the, you know, the teams like Seattle. Yeah, and that's something like when, like, anytime, like, whether it's just for this podcast or in the past, when, I, you know, when you put out questions to kind of the public just to see what fans are wondering – get a lot of stuff about is there any way they can change the dp situation is there any way they can free anything up and the short answer is no they are 
Yeah. The fire are praying that this MLS young player fund or whatever the hell it's going to be called fire are praying that thing happens because otherwise if it doesn't, or if it's not what the fire think it's going to be, this team has no roster flexibility. The three DPs will all be back. They will all still be the same DPs. You've got a lot of guys he signed last year who are on TAM money, who you're not going to move, even though some of them, you know, did not play well, like Boris Sekulic, or you've got guys like Lucas Stojanovic who played 20 minutes and tore his MCL. And so you yeah. don't even know what you've got there. So they have so much money tied up in so many places. And again, so that's, you know, I kind of answered this on Twitter a couple times, but the short answer there is there's the three DPs are going to be the same three DPs next year. And either Aliceta gets better and is something closer to what they think he's going to be, or this team's going to look almost identical in terms of the way they're set up to the way they did this past year. Which is something that they're counting on to get better. And uh, not to uh, toot my own horn, but I remember a very smart reporter asked Garrett Heights about that, about why you'd want um, continuity after winning five out of 23 games. And I guess really the answer is they have no choice. That is, right. that, it's the only way they can be, get better. Whether they want it or not, they've got it. Well, maybe they get better, what, but what's this team's ceiling? Um, right. That, you that's, this that's this the entire thing. squad together, and it's not an MLS uh, upper-level team. And I, I, uh, I, I probably see them um, as a team that can possibly compete for the last couple of spots in the East, and that's, that's nothing to strive for. Right, and the playoffs won't be 10 teams deep in the East in 2021. At least we hope not. <laughs> On that note, um, of the guys who stayed, I guess we can go quickly around the room here. Who's the guy you, were, you guys were most surprised to see they kept on the roster? Who's the guy you thought was probably they were going to probably let walk who's staying around, or who is at least on the team for now? Obviously, they could still trade. They could still do other things. But in terms of picking up contracts, who are you guys uh, surprised to see kept around? I don't think anything really surprised me all that much, to be perfectly honest. I was a little surprised when they picked up Calvo's option for next year, but knowing how they value his personality and his leadership, not all that surprising. There was not really have a choice with the lack of center back depth right now, especially with no roster flexibility and not knowing what Carlos Tehran is yet. Right. And whether no one's for sure, whether Pineda actually is a center back long-term. Obviously I asked him about that a couple weeks ago and he said he would play wherever. So, um, but, uh, it's an open question about whether he's a center back or a mid long term. Uh, but uh, to answer your question, nothing really surprised me that the uh, Bronico thing a little bit, but Bronico didn't play all that much in the second half of the season. Uh, was nothing too stunning uh, that day, at least on the end. Yeah, of the I'm kind of with Brian and, and Calvo. I wouldn't call it uh, shocking, maybe a little surprising that, and maybe they try to move him, but I think uh, the deficiency at center back is one of their most glaring issues that needs to be addressed, and it's, it's been an issue for a while. Uh, Johan Kappelhoff, uh, if they can move him, maybe that clears up some space or they get something in return for him. Um, but even, even if Kappelhoff is back and healthy, they still need to upgrade center back at some point. And I, I don't know how you do it without moving people or uh, clearing up space somehow. So this is one where maybe, you know, maybe they're hoping someday there's a return for him. And this is definitely in the category of we're locked in here. Let's hope things get better. Um, you know, is Shemislav Frankowski what he is? Is he a very fast man who can't figure things out when he gets in the range of the 18-yard box? I mean, this is a guy who 
over this 2020 season went from being a consistent Polish international to no longer included in squads. And just, you know, while there were moments where it looked like he was this close to maybe finally figuring it out, perfect example, this is a guy on a TAM salary who's, make, who's you know, in probably your top five or six earners on the roster. And we've been saying the exact same things about the guy for 18 months. I mean, I, I, I was, I'm wondering, you know, would it be worth it at some point for the fire to just take their losses and because of the convoluted rules of MLS, free up that TAM for some other purpose rather than sticking with a guy they know what they're getting out of Frankowski, I guess, is my thought. And so I'm, I'm wondering what, what you guys think the value is in, in keeping him around one more year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, we didn't really see much progression from his first season to his second season. If anything, there was a regression. Um, his best games in each season were the last day of the year when mm-hmm. there was almost nothing left to play for. Um, so we've seen him, I think he had two goals on the last day last year as well, and two goals on the final game this year. Um, but it's, just, it's always been the same thing with him. Even from that first game, what was it, last, first game last year at LA Galaxy? Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, Frankowski looks like he could be dangerous. Gets, you know, fast, gets in good spots, final balls lacking, you know, can't finish. And end of his second season, it's the same thing, really. I mean, when you look at the first game after the restart of the restart, I think when they were playing at Columbus, it, that whole game goes from Frankowski blowing a big chance to Columbus taking down the other way, scoring, and then never looking back. Um, you know, I mean, it's fair to to sit here and say, okay, what's his salary? What's the value? And if Ponovich really did want him <laughs> in the summer, why didn't they, you know, pull, what? yeah, free him up? I mean, it's he was struggling with injury for most of the year, to be fair. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, you know. His, his family did move in the middle of the season as well from their downtown apartment to a house in the suburbs yeah. or whatever. So there is some stuff that you could say, like, okay, maybe there's some mitigating circumstances. Then everybody kind of struggled or has different speeds of getting back into game fitness during shutdowns and things like that. So there's some mitigating circumstances, but yeah, and, you know, overall, what, you know, what was the real value you have from him over two years now at his salary with yep. those TAM rules, you know? Yep. Jeremy brings up a good point there. Cause I thought that he would have a breakout year in 2020 and he just never, never panned out. But again, a lot of players, younger players that come over in new leagues and new countries and new environments, that's, struggle isn't always um that struggle off the field you you don't know how difficult that is for some of these guys and sometimes that translates into what happens on the pitch and i I don't know if that was the case for for frankowski but uh, man you see um glimpses of what you think he could be and it just it's frustrating to watch because maybe uh maybe he's not being utilized correctly or maybe he's just not uh, a good fit for what they're trying to do but uh, I, I, don't, I think they're in a tough spot with him at this point. You know, there's, he's, he's a guy who you can see what coaches or scouts saw in him or what they thought he was going to be. But, but he's a guy who, you know, we, we talk a lot about offensively the ball dying at his feet or playing a weird pass or missing a shot or blowing a bad chance. There were also a number of times down, especially when he was on the right side with, with Sekulich this year where, he didn't drop and Boris was kind of caught in no man's land. And that was kind of the start of us giving up another goal. So I, I, I don't know how much he, he's a guy. I mean, he's not a DP level player, but he's a guy you're, you're paying a lot of money to. You need more out of him. 
And he's one of those kind of black holes on this roster that, that I think caused this poor season. Honestly, it's, it's, um, I see the potential there, but I think we're at the point where we're not going to actually see that potential come to fruition. And also you got to remember the other thing I think about with him is when he was brought into the team, the guy in the opposite wing was Alexander Katai, who was a guy whose part of his job was to score goals. So when you had Nikolic through the center and Katai on the left, Frankowski didn't really need to score. He just kind of needed to run really fast and cross the ball. And now you're in a position where he was being asked to take some of that goal scoring winger role and be a guy who was generating on offense and he just fluffed the chances we'll say a fun thing that i think a couple of us commented on uh, i think this was on the internet yesterday his two-year-old son looks like he's got a nice left-footed cross on him so maybe there <laughs> maybe there is some hope there um jeremy you are last up here in terms of uh, a theme of the year topic uh what do you got okay um all right so we talked about how there's a new crest and New Jersey color, and a new slash old stadium, and a new sporting director, and a new coach, and basically half a new team, and how everything was the same as it was last year. We saw, you know, reasonable chance creation, bad bad finishing that led to lack of goals, horrendous defensive errors, like really shockingly silly errors that we've seen defensively dropping points in games. You shouldn't not winning games at home being terrible on the road. I mean, it was all the same. It was like, what was different other than everything changed and yet it was all exactly the same. So for me, it might look at the fire in 2020. It's like watching the fire in 2019, but like with different actors, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like same story, different actors. You know, that's sort of when I, my takeaway on the season was that it was, you know, it was a lot of the same and in a lot of ways too, you know, from a media perspective, you know, obviously the Zoom era being very different for everybody, but, you know, Wiki would, wouldn't really say much in the same way that Ponovich really wouldn't say much last year, or they felt like they were just kind of repeating themselves about things like, oh, you know, we got to take our chances and make up mistakes, concentration, lack of focus. And it's like, okay, well, when are we going to fix these things? You know, so um, to me, it was mostly, uh, this season was very much like last season, even though there were so many different things about it. Yeah. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. It was, yeah, it was similar. It was very, very similar. Yeah. And more roomy press box though. But, uh, yeah. A press box that has windows and uh, actual heating and air conditioning. Definitely, definitely an upgrade in that regard. But, um, but then of course, in that comparison, uh, Jeremy, I'd agree with you hundred percent. Valko Panovich gets the last laugh. He is currently top of the table in the English Championship <laughs> with Reading. So, you know, again, things are odd, and yet somehow he's over there doing that. Um, you know, maybe five years from now, Rafael Wicki is leading QPR to some great things or, <laughs> or something. Um, but no, it, it was definitely weird. It, it, it made no sense. Valko Panovich could have given Wiki's press conferences this year. And, you know... I think maybe the thing was, maybe this is because of 2020 and we talked about the excuses that were made for why there wasn't success. At least by the end of 2019, we got some angry Pano. And like angry Pano was at least good for a quote, was at least mixed it up and it was kind of fun. And yeah, you could see that he was really just, that he knew it was bad, wasn't sure why, and was pissed about it. Whereas this year, it was, it was kind of the same thing to the very, very end. And then you mentioned the defensive airs. I don't know if there was a moment that more captured this fire season 
than the blank look on every player's face when Miguel Navarro hits that back pass. <laughs> Just every, I think Francisco Calvo was closest to him, and the face Calvo made the second that ball gets hit is just if I could have screenshotted his face, that's the fire season is, is the look he gives Navarro. The heck with the players, the look and people's faces in the press box. There was yeah, a gasp. I, yeah. Was, yeah. I, I was, uh, I was, I think I had my nose in my keyboard typing and I look up and I'm like, wait, what just happened? What did, did he really do that? But I don't want to blame Miguel Navarro for no. what happened that last day, but you're right. It was, it was such a perfect encapsulation of the season. But, like, I, I, I've looked at the, hot, the replay, like, five times when I was writing my story that day, and I couldn't believe it happened. Like, you just can't believe that a play like that is made by a guy in the top level of North American so- – of, of, of United States soccer. You just it don't was a great through it. ball. Yeah. <laughs> just to the wrong color. Yeah, you know, it's it was funny. I, I was watching that play develop, and I just thought in my head, like, don't play it into, don't play it through your own box, and because yeah. it's like, I mean, it's something you tell kids, it's, you know, something you learn from a young age is don't play it back across your own box. And here we have, you know, this moment. I mean, it was perfect. I mean, like, the way the season went, like, the Fire didn't deserve to be in the playoffs, right? So if they had somehow won that game, it would have been like kind of fluke in a way, even though they had come back from. Two, two goals down or three goals down, whatever it was. 3-1, um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it would have, you know, they would have kind of earned it on the day, I guess. But in terms of the season, you know, they didn't deserve to be one of the 10 teams, uh, 10 out of 14 okay. teams, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, that play was just a perfect example of, like. To, to quote our friend Kevin Egan, schoolboy errors. And, uh, Kevin, if you're listening, you know what that means. Yeah. I believe the quote from Pat in the press box was, that is something I tell seven-year-olds. Was that yeah. the, was that the <laughs> I think about? that's, that is what I said. Yes. <laughs> about never playing the ball across your own 18. Um, and again, yeah, no fault to Miguel Navarro. I mean, that whole, that entire last day was a series of things. Um, and there's uh yeah, it was just the way it ended could not have been more, more perfect for, for 2020 as a season um, to end this a year. For, you know, as a year in general. Yeah, 2020 is assisting the goal that gets your team knocked out of the playoffs. Um, to end this uh, this part of the show on a high note, I will say this. A lot went wrong for the fire in 2020, and there was a lot of mistakes made on and off the field, but at least they didn't sign Chicharito. Oh, boy. That's a great point. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Um, all right, so we got um, we got some business to get to. Um, the Fire have done some things, might do some more things in terms of the roster. We mentioned they are very constrained, but there is that young money fund or whatever we're calling it that is hanging out there, and it looks like the Fire have made a couple signings that could involve that, could just be Gam or Tam. They haven't had to tell us yet, so we don't know. But um, their first offseason signing was Chinonso 04, 20-year-old Nigerian striker signed from FKRFS in Latvia, where this season in 21 games, he had 10 goals and six assists. Uh, I believe Guillermo broke this news originally. I, Guillermo, I guess I'll start with you here. We can kind of talk about it. How do we even evaluate the signing of a guy who has played well in the league that none of us have watched? <laughs> you don't. I mean, you, you, we haven't scouted these guys. You don't. You, you, the footage on them is very 
limited. You, you, you don't know what to expect out of them. So yeah, I, I guess you have to trust uh, the people who are scouting them and making the signings. But you're taking a flyer in a 19-year-old player that may or may not pan out. I'm, I'm sure he's not incredibly expensive. So who knows? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I guess it's time, time to note that CJ Sapong is no longer on the roster. So right. That that's the number point. nine role is open. That's a risk though, because Barrett, yeah, 12 goals in 23 games, but in right smack dab in the middle of that, he had seven straight donuts. So uh, you're putting a lot on him or Elliot Collier, or maybe even Lucas Stojanovic would be, if, if he's back would be a false nine. If Barrett can't play for whatever reason or goes cold, you're putting a lot on Robert Barrich by letting go of Sapong and adding a four. Um, it's an interesting signing, and I'm not sure, and Elliot Collier, who may or may not be a legitimate MLS player, depend, I, that's one that's in the eye of the beholder. But, uh, you know, you're putting a lot on Barrich and you're putting a lot on your scouts, and you're putting a lot on Wiki to get something out of him when he's going to be very young and getting used to uh, MLS, which, as we know, is not the best league in the world, but a pretty tough one, a pretty weird one, and a pretty challenging one with uh, the travel and everything else. So it's uh, interesting that they're going to be putting a little bit on him uh, next season if he can beat out Collier to be the backup to Barrich. Another thing that's probably worth mentioning, you know, the fire released C.J. Sapong. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see if C.J.'s in the league next year. Uh, obviously, he had a year that was tougher than most people's uh, 2020, but it's good to see that his, it seems like his – his daughter's in good health after some scares around her birth. He's been out in California with family. So all the best to CJ. I think he still could have been an asset to this team going forward, but we'll have to wait and see if he's even in the league next year. Um, speaking of other leagues, I don't think any of us watch. I don't think the Ecuadorian top flight is exactly our, our forte either, but we have, I think, all probably at least seen Don Espinosa play. Um, yes. 21-year-old right back from Ecuador. Mm -hmm captained the Ecuador U-20 team at the World Cup last year and notably scored the goal that knocked the U.S. U-20s out of the tournament, which is, I know, my only experience with having watched him play. Uh, he already has two caps for the Ecuador senior team as well, 54 appearances for SD Alcas in Ecuador. Um, we talked earlier, somebody mentioned that center back depth might have been the most glaring thing, but if I had to pick one position from the fire this year that needed to be upgraded, I might've said right back. And so, you know, what do you guys think is, you know, is, is this, does this mean Boris Sekulich is more of a center back now, you know, because Espinosa's the profile of a player. He's a young South American has national team call-ups. You figure he's expecting to play. I think it's the, it, it's weird to me that there's, there's such varying uh, opinions on Sekulich because I didn't think he was particularly good. Um, and I definitely think that they needed depth there. They, they, there was, he played every game because they didn't have anybody else to play there. So um, to see that they brought in somebody at right back is good. I, I mean, I, my only experience with him is seeing him score that goal against the U.S. in that game. And it took me a good hour after getting the press release from the fire press office to go, oh, yeah, he's that guy. And I'm like, how do I know that name? Why would I know him at all? And that's the reason why. Um, he scored that goal that looked to be offside that beat the U.S. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's nice to see that they brought in somebody at right back to, and hopefully he can at least push Boris to do a little bit better because Boris did some okay things going forward, but he confused me a lot of the time. So um, I'm, I'm hoping this is an upgrade. 
Well, I mean, yeah. the, the modern game is so reliant on fullbacks, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. well, two going to obviously attack and defend. And Brian mentioned top of the table, Tottenham. But, you know, Liverpool is the best two <laughs> fullbacks in the world, at least as a pairing. You know, and their whole team is pretty much built, you know, you think maybe Salah, but their team's really a lot of ways built around Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson getting forward um, and kind of creating from those wide positions. And I think when you look at the fire, you know, you look at left back, you got a very old Jonathan Bornstein, who's a very solid defender and actually still halfway decent going forward. But, you know, at 35, can't play every game and doesn't have the, the legs anymore. And then you have Sekulich, who I thought didn't really do much getting forward. Didn't seem to contribute much to the attack. I mean, outside of his few moments this year where he did, he did kind of contribute. Um, and I think those that's probably both sides of that field is where they're kind of lacking. You know, they're also lacking in wingers in general, but as we mentioned Frankowski earlier, but they're also lacking guys behind the wingers too. So any upgrade that they can do in that position was a smart move. Now, again, with all the moves the Fire have made recently, bringing in a guy so young with very little senior experience, you know, how much – how good is he? How good is he? How good can he be? And how long is it going to take him to be ready to play? And you got to figure that some of these young guys are going to miss too. Like just with with guys right. that young, you're bound to fail in some of these cases. And I think it was Guillermo that said this earlier. You're you're tied to these people. They've they've got you know three year contracts with with club options after that. So it's I just I, I you know, we'll see. But hopefully they got more right than than not. Um, it's tough to, you can't really, like Guillermo said this too, you can't evaluate. You don't, we don't, I don't watch the Ecuadorian league or I've seen this guy play one time. Um, I, I've never seen a foreplay other than, than YouTube highlight videos with weird Euro techno music under them. It's, it's, <laughs> you don't, you really don't know. So, um, there's, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. At least with Barrich, I had heard of him. I had seen him. Um, so it's, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll see what we have here, but, um, I guess I'm not, I'm not down on it. I, I, I just have no idea. I'm kind of neutral on it. Yeah. And right after he was signed, Espinosa was signed. I, I think I tweeted this out. If you look at what the fire have done in terms of defensive signings over the last year, you've got three guys who are basically all the exact same profile, like kind of like I just mentioned, youth international starters at the highest youth international levels who are on the fringes, you know, Tehran is not yet on the fringe of the Colombian national team, but I think we'd all agree they're a bit higher caliber than Venezuela or Ecuador. But you've got Tehran, Miguel Navarro, and now Espinosa, who are all basically of the exact same profile, about 20 years old, you know, play a lot for the higher levels of youth national teams, and now are looking to make that next step. And I think to Passport, we've got to expect, not all three of those guys are going to hit, but you know, it, it, the fire are hoping for a world where they do. And not only do these guys contribute strongly to the fire. Again, this is, this is what the MLS does now. This is buy young South Americans, hope they hit. And if they do, you're going to make some money. So yeah, especially when we talk about Seculus not being particularly fast and Bornstein getting up there in age and, you know, eventually the guy's just not going to be able to play, you know, 1500 minutes a season. It's, it's inevitable that he's going to lose it at some point. Yeah. It's, you can tell what the fire are doing here, but, it's impossible well, to know if any of it's going Well, on. here's the thing. They're putting so much on Raphael Wicke and the development infrastructure that Rafa, of course, was known for developing young players with Basel and his short stint on the U.S. program. They're putting a lot on him that if he can get – whether he can get a lot out of these guys. 
If he can, then this plan works. If he can't, that's not good news for the future of the fire for a lot of different reasons. Because, yeah, they've got some veterans, they've got some older guys, but so much, is, as we've all said, is tied into these younger guys. If Raphael Wicke can't get anything out of them, then that's a lot of dead money, that's a lot of dead roster space, and then who knows where this thing goes in the future. So they are really, really putting a lot on Raphael Wicke uh, with, with this plan that they have. And then the, uh, the final – so the Fire have not made any more – signings yet but the guy who the last guy whose name's been floated around a lot and you know make of what you will from initially anonymous twitter accounts but then more and more traction of stanislav Ivanov, who's a bulgarian winger currently plays in sofia in the capital of bulgaria in the bulgarian top flight a you know a guy who if you again we haven't a guy we haven't seen play i don't think we watch bulgaria but you know he's kind of you would think in the frankowski mold about the same age um you know eastern european winger supposedly fast um, so I only mentioned that to kind of lead us into the first question of, I think the last part of this podcast, I wanted to get to some questions that I got submitted online. This first one is from Aaron. Are these signings the sort of players the fires need? When we look at, you know, Espinosa, 04, and then maybe a guy like Ivanov, are these the positions we think they needed to add in? And where else do we think they need to add? And I think that's the bigger question. We talked about center back depth earlier, but if the fire can find more money somewhere to spend this offseason, where do you guys think they should go with it if, if they've got it free? Uh, I'll answer this one. I think an attacking mid, I think a 10 would mm-hmm. be somewhere I would go because, look, I don't know, was Lucas Stoyanovic supposed to be the 10 uh, this year? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know for sure whether George Mihailovic will be with the club next year. Of course, his name has always been floated by a possible European move. Maybe that comes off this offseason. Maybe it doesn't, whatever. But, um, you know, Lucas Stoyanovic, Pretty promising player. Uh, I know that he scored a lot of goals. He's, he can play kind of a nine and a half, a false nine as well. But uh, you don't know whether he'll be back 100% next year. Knees are tricky things. Meniscuses, menisci are tricky things. Just ask Derek Rose about that. Um, you don't know. Uh, so I would have gone there because that's something they really, really needed. That All the talk about expected goals and all of that, they needed somebody to pick out that final pass from the middle, and that's what they were lacking. If I if, – if they had more money, I would go for a 10, but uh, I'm not sure they have the uh, space to, uh, to do that. But a 10 would be where I would go. I think DC United signing Mezzadozo. <laughs> <laughs> He's well-rested at this point. So. <laughs> yeah. I would agree yeah, with I, I agree with, like, yeah, I agree with Brian, too. I think a 10 is, is where I would go. They've they've gone to some of the areas I wanted to see them like right back. Like I said, I I, I want somebody. They've got a pretty good six and a pretty good eight in Jimenez and Navarro or in Jimenez and and Madron. Excellent um, combination there. Yeah, I, I that's one of the things, one of the bright spots I think of the year. One of the few um, to throw a ten in there would be, and I I feel like I wonder if Wiki doesn't like a creative ten. I feel like maybe he likes because he likes Herbers there who's more of a just defensive guy who's a, who can press and try to win the ball back right away. Who's good at that. But I, I would love to see a creative, a creative guy there. And, and, you know, who knows what's going on with Georgie. We never know what's going on with Georgie. So um, it could be him. And if it's going to be him, then they need to buckle down and commit to each other long-term and, and be public about it so that we can stop hearing the rumors. And if it's not um, in 
I think that the idea was to have Luka do it, Luka Stojanovic do it, but um, I would like to see them sign somebody else there for, uh, it doesn't have to be a big name, but it's got to be a really good player, in my view. Is Nico Gaetan available again? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> remember, remember, he was going to help their defense, too, because they were going to have the ball so much. Gear. That's, that's oh, great. God, about that quote. Oh, Do you remember that? Oh, my God. I'm glad I wasn't at that press conference. <laughs> I, I was, I'm glad I wasn't at that. <sighs> you know, besides the 10, though, if, you know, the problem is they have so many issues still. In this team, you know, we talk about center back is an issue. We have, you know, number 10. Talk about wingers needing an upgrade, fullbacks needing an upgrade. It's, you know, goalkeeper, you know, goalkeeper probably needs an upgrade, albeit that, you know, Shuttleworth is solid enough maybe for a year or two. You know, Cromholm got a little better maybe than he was in previous seasons. You know, it's like, and I'm and you Cromwell know was, in MLS too. You don't want to be pulling a Colorado and dropping a DP like they did for Tim Howard on the right. goalkeeper. You know, goalkeepers yeah. are pretty serviceable in this league. Yeah. So it's like it's the only might, position this country yeah. is consistently good at. Right. And Cron, and the thing about Cronholm wrote about him last week. He's optimistic that he'll be back to start the season. But remember, he had a pretty bad injury. Mm-hmm. He blew out his knee in July. So expecting him to be back in March. Yeah, Who knows? Nah. And he's and he's a sweeper keeper too. So, are you sure that he's your number one or your even your number two to start next season? But probably need cover there. And I don't want to have one of the young kids doing that because that's a waste of their time. I want them playing, whether it's in Madison or wherever else. Yeah. Ha- having one of the young kids be your number three goalies or number even your number two for a short amount of time is a waste. So I think it would be good for them to get a somebody to replace Connor Sparrow. Um, but I don't know exactly what their plans are. So goalie would be another position among others. To wrap it up, I'll go back to the kind of the same thing I said about uh, the coaches of the final four teams in MLS this year. What else do all those four teams have in common? Nico Ladero, Emmanuel Reynoso, Lucas Zellerayon, Carles Hill. And so it's, it's, again, it's what, it's what succeeds in MLS right now. Um, I'm going to actually – We Georgie's name came up a couple times here, so I might as well throw this question out now. Um, what is Georgie Mihailovic's position? Because I'm someone who's said multiple times that I think he's a 10, maybe even an 8, but that I don't think he's a winger. And kind of like Bobby and Herbers in the comment someone made, I understand why Wiki likes him. Why? he's. A, I mean, if you could argue that Georgie's best skill is he's a good presser. Um, so I, I get that. But I, I'm with – I think it was Pat. I'm with Pat because – if Georgie's going to be the 10, I think he can do the job. But, again, if, if he's not going to be, let's stop wondering what's going on here. Because, I mean, again, I think he's a better as a midfielder. But, heck, Greg Burhalter might start him on the wing tomorrow night. So, you know, who knows at this point? By the way, Greg's quote on him that yeah, well, I, I, that I got that. today was quite interesting. Um. Which, yeah, Pat, you were in on the, uh, the, the press conference today with Greg Burhalter ahead of Wednesday night's game against El Salvador. We are recording this on Tuesday evening. So when you are listening, either the U.S. game against El Salvador is tonight or maybe it already happened. Um, when Pat, Pat, when you asked Greg about him, uh, Burhalter said, quote, Georgie's as good as he sets his mind to, which uh, not sure that was a compliment, but I think it's a sentiment we would probably all agree with. Yeah, it's it seemed it's one of those quotes too that it seemed worse 
when you actually when I heard it come out of his mouth than when I look at it in print. But yeah, um, I did not view that as a compliment. Now he followed up with what was a compliment. He's he's you know we enjoy having him here, and I I believe like like everybody, Greg sees something in him, but you know there there just always seem to be issues with him, and I like we I don't I've heard things, but I don't totally know what happened in Orlando. I don't totally know what went down there, and I. I just wish, I think he's a very good player. He's got a lot of skill and he's a Chicago guy. It would be cool if he could stay here, but if they're going to do that, both the fire and Georgie need to come together and, and commit to one another. They need to pay him and he needs to, you know, perform and, and keep his mouth shut. So um, it's, which wasn't hard for them this year because they never offered him up since Orlando. So um, it, oh, they did uh, one time, Pat. They did? After yeah, the Kansas they, City game, after the you Kansas offered us City another game. phenomenal Georgie quote, which was when Brian asked the one game I wasn't there. That's right. Yeah, I said, and he Alex, said, I don't really want to talk about that. And yeah, there are highs there are lows, and uh, that's all I got to say about that. That's right. Yeah, the the quote was um, the twenty twenty season is just you know up and down, you know, like every other season. He said, "There's highs, there's lows, and that's all I got to say about that." Very Forrest Gump of him. I was waiting yeah. for the Forrest Gump accent at the end of that yeah. answer too, because it was so. <laughs> and if and if you haven't done Zoom, if you've done Zoom interviews, you're kind of waiting there. So there really isn't an opportunity to follow up. So you're just kind of waiting there, hanging for seconds. Like, is that is that going to be it? And yeah. thank you for that, because I believe that I asked the next question. So that was a fun time. <laughs> yeah, and 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 yeah. So another one of those times, uh, those few t- those times when you miss being in the locker room, so you can't really follow up, but. Uh, you know, if that's the biggest complaint uh, I have in the world about that I couldn't follow up with a player, then I guess I'm yeah. going okay. So, yeah, that was that was a weird one because that was one of the few times where the players went before Wiki um, mm-hmm. in terms of media availability. So when we had asked Wiki about Georgie or about his goal and something like that, he just didn't really want to give him a compliment. <laughs> you know, he's gave him like a very surface level compliment, but it seems like every time I've, anybody's ever asked Rafa about Georgie, it's always like a compliment with a but. There's always like a giant, yeah. you know, but or he needs to whatever. You know what I mean? It seems like a pretty common theme um, with Georgie, at least it's this season. constantly weird and and awkward. And I don't, I never got that sense with any other player that it was just it was him. And and so I don't feel like he's gonna stay, even though they they picked up his option I feel like they're going to try to move him but if he does um if he does stay uh I hope they clear the air and get it right and and actually commit to one another I think they're going to try to move him yeah Yeah, I think the player are hoping he starts and scores tomorrow just to you know add a couple uh add a couple lines on uh onto whatever the number ends up being but now I if I had if I had to put a bet down now I don't think Mihailovic is on the roster and I think they you know we talk about what else do they need you know, they're not paying him a lot of money because he's a homegrown player, but we know the way MLS's roster rules work. Every cent is valuable, and that mm-hmm. would be several more they could move around somewhere else. Um, and he's a guy who wants to go to Europe, I mean, more than anywhere else. Right. I, don't, I don't think he has any strong desire to go around the country. If, no. If he wants to move, he wants to go to Europe. You know, if you guys were at media day this year at the beginning of the season, you ask him, hey, how was your couple of weeks in Germany? I yep. loved it. He, was, he wasn't even with a – one one Bundesliga team. He's with the two Bundesliga team. He's just talked about how much, like, how much the standards are so much higher. Professionalism, like, 
and he was he, he loved it so i mean i think for him best case scenario is he leaves at the fire just to go to europe yeah and we we tell you know, i think pat you mentioned that burhalter clearly sees something in him like every coach sees something in him and i think we'd all agree georgie sees something in himself and maybe the best thing for him would to be in an environment where he is surrounded by other people who think in a similar way i mean either he would perform better or it would you know get his ego down a notch or two to be in that kind of more you know you know competitive environment as he put it you know jeremy to me back in geez was that february so yeah um we'll have to see what happens with him and i mean although i'm definitely interested to see what happens against um against a weekend el salvador team because looking at the u.s roster right now they're down a couple of guys because of injury issues there was some COVID issues I i think there's a decent chance he starts and so we'll have to Wait and see. He looked pretty good a long, long way in the past last time we saw him in a U.S. shirt. Um, got a couple more here. This one's less soccer but I think more, still really interesting. This is from Carlos. Any news or thoughts on the land search for a training facility? Also asking about, you know, he asked about uh, timing of the branding. We don't know anything about that, and I think it's going to be a mystery until someone leaks it like last time. But on, on the training facility search, this is something – when you talk to people around MLS, this is the biggest negative the fire have is that they don't have a proper training facility. And any of us who have ever stepped on that soccer field that is out in Bridgeview know that that thing kind of sucks. Um, and smells and smells. And yeah, also there's the dump next door. That's not a great, not, not a great sell either. So, I mean, do you, I mean, I, I guess, you know, if you guys are saving something that I, I don't want you to break it out now, but what are your guys thoughts on them, uh, on them searching for land? Because I think we all know the, opportunity for big pieces of open dirt in this city is uh, few and far between yeah they are um what we know for sure is that they are actively looking um yeah and have been for a while so i know there was a twitter rumor that they had found land and, and they agreed and put you know money down for a lease or something that's not true <laughs> they were outbid for one spot of land the problem is that when you look into the real estate type market of things when Mansueto's attached to it. Well, is Mansueto buying it for Mansueto's real estate properties? Because uh, he just bought the Waldorf Astoria a few weeks ago. The fire are going to train there. <laughs> yeah, he's, they're actually going to tear it down and it's going to be straight, practically yeah. all vertical. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so we know that they're actively looking. The problem is that if they want a training facility in the city, you know, if you look at a map of Chicago and look at, okay, what areas are vacant and what areas could be purchased to tear down, to build a facility, there's not a huge number of options. And that's one of the big problems with finding a stadium that isn't Soldier Field. Um, because as soon as you start saying, put it in this neighborhood or that neighborhood, well, it's not as easy or as accessible. It's not a central location. So for a training facility, you don't need to be centrally located, but you need to be convenient enough for players, most of whom, you know, live downtown or in uh, like Streeterville or something, um, it has to be accessible for them. So we know that they're looking, but how soon are they gonna find something? You know, that's sort of, that's a big mystery. It's, you know, Mansueto's shown he's not afraid to pay for things. So, I mean, he's got the money, obviously. Yeah. Um, but well, there, was a, there, was, there was a belief earlier in the season among the, the academy teams and uh, sort of the, uh, the lower level, um, teams that uh, they had settled on or at least were close to settling on a 35 acre site in Chicago but uh, 
uh, I don't, it doesn't seem like that's panned out. Like Jeremy said, it's uh, real estate and construction in Chicago. And I tested that because it's uh, what I do in my, uh, my day job is, uh, is not easy. Uh, where, where, how they found a spot it again, I'm sure Mansueto is willing to pay for it, but finding it is, is the problem. Um, it's yeah, getting a stadium done. Uh, they're going to be in Soldier Field for a while. And yeah, the training facility they may be able to get done, but again, there have been several sites. Uh, uh, there was a, some talk of a Humboldt Park site, uh, but the Mansueto bought an office facility, an office complex in Humboldt Park, so that might have been what that was referencing. There are two other sites um, in on the near west side and another one a little farther north that could serve as uh, potential training sites. But uh, again, that there's a lot of uh, I'll save this for an athletic article at some point, but there's a lot of entanglement um, in uh, trying to get those two sites done with uh, the people who own them now. And even right. when we saw too with uh, Ricketts, how hard it is to get a Chicago, get a soccer stadium built in the city. Right. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say, we saw the Lincoln Yards, you know, that and, was, and, and I think, there was you know, mock-ups and everything, and then it got to City know. Hall, and it just died. You so, know. Well, and it partially died, it died for a lot of reasons, and, you know, that U.S. All-Expansion Club is not coming. Um, but, I mean, I think we all know, we've known for a, over a year now that the fire have been doing some lobbying, and we don't know what that's about, but I, I, my suspicion always was it was targeting that same site again the moment Ricketts walked away, but, you know, the alderman there wasn't cooperative, things are easier said than done. And yeah, to your guys' point, when you try to think of empty lots, I, you know, when I think, you know, where could you put anything of size? It's that side on Goose Island. And the only place in the city city I can think of that's open is the Northeast corner of Halstead and division, but that's been open for literally forever. And I'm just convinced at this point that nothing will ever be built on the site because there's gotta be some legal problems going on why no one has developed it. So um, this actually kind of leads into another question someone had, and I, I think we can do this pretty quickly, asking about, you know, are the fire ever going to have a USL team or a reserve team? But I imagine you've got to have a training facility built before that ever happens, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you're ever going to, I mean, they have a pretty built-in uh, facility for a USL team right now. And just to go back to the previous point, I think they have, what, four years left in Bridgeview? That they're obligated to be there to train, yeah, so they, so. they have a li- still paying. Right, they have they have a little bit of time left uh, before they have to f- figure out something else, and I'm sure they could extend that deal if need be. Mm-hmm. I know they don't want to, and I know that they've last off season they invested a fair amount of money into SeatGeek Stadium, even though they don't play there anymore. But uh, if they if they were going to get a USL team, I think SeatGeek Stadium would be a fine venue for it, and you can find places to train in the interim. I don't know if that would be a, a, a hindrance to getting a USL team. Obviously, you'd want a training facility of your own, but you can, you can improvise. There's a, when there's a will, there's a way. You can figure things out. So uh, I, I, I would not be surprised if there's a USL team in the future. Um, I think a lot of things about the outlook of the franchise changed, of course, when Joe Mansueto took over, but I don't have a timeline on when a USL team uh, – is on its way and who knows how much people are going to want to invest in things like that in the middle of the pandemic economy anyways. Hmm. The other thing I think it probably depends on is, um, you know, and this is financial related as well. The fire signed all those homegrowns at the beginning of the season and they had that partnership with forward Madison. And my joke was I looked forward to Andre Reynolds driving the big 14 seater van 
up to Madison with all these teenagers in the car. And of course, I mean, and I'm sure Ford Madison was banking on that too, to have half a roster of fire players. And of course that only kind of happened. Chris Brady, goalkeeper, really the only guy who benefited from that partnership in 2020. Um, so it probably depends there too, you know, is our other teams, are teams like Ford Madison financially in a position for the next several years to bring those players in and not really cover any salary. So I think that's something I'm really watching in 2021. What does the fire Madison relationship look like? And can we actually get all these young guys playing, you know, and within that, of course, is included. What do you do when you have two 16 year old goalkeepers who you feel like you can market both of and trying to find them both homes. So yeah, I think on the younger with, with the younger players and just the load of home grounds the fire have these guys got to play somewhere. So, you know, you, I got to imagine this is something the team is thinking about in terms of over the next five years, what's the best way to get all these guys playing time? Yeah, you, you can't have players on the roster who aren't playing first team games anywhere. So, and that was a problem. I mean, they, like Javier Casas didn't play. There's, mm-hmm. And there was a number of guys. Andre barely played. Um, I will say Alex Monas did okay in Madison before he got hurt. He was playing 10, 20 minutes at the end of every game. And the first I don't know, seven, 10, whatever it was games, Chris Brady didn't play at all. And then when he got his chance, he was amazing. So kudos to him, but, but yeah, you, you can't have, you can't do the thing where you have, you have all these homegrowns and then they just train. They need, they need games and they know that they said, they've said that. So um, even if they have a, if, even if it's Madison again next year, I think that like you said, with the two goalkeepers, you're going to need another place to send them beyond your, you know, preferred partner or whatever. So hopefully they can get that worked out. Well, MLS is creating the reserve league, right? Mm-hmm. Next year or two years yeah. from now. Um, so, you know, you might have a lot of those young guys who aren't on loan, at least kind of filling up the reserve team for a while, at least. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. And if, you know, we're still in the pandemic next year, if the reserve league is something that kind of gets pushed back a year or two, but yeah, I agree. You can't have all these, you know, teenagers, right? I mean, they're, they need play. They need to play. I mean, they, you signed them all so that they didn't go to college, um, which, you know, obviously, you know, me personally, I hate the college game. I think it's, I think it really hampers development more than anything, but at least they're still playing. You know, if you sign a kid at 17 to not go to college, then you need him to play because you can't just expect him to sit around for three years and then be better. Right, and you know, of all the players that on the fire roster, I think I think we'd all agree the guys who this year cost the most was the young guys. Um, getting to the end of this podcast, guys, this has been I've enjoyed this a lot. This has been fun. Good to have you guys all on here. Uh, before we go, though, want to get kind of a final word from all you guys. Kind of you know, looking forward to twenty twenty one, and also going to need an MLS Cup prediction. So, uh, going around, uh, go the other way this time. So, Guillermo, I'll start with you. You know, what you're looking forward to about Chicago soccer next year. And uh, who's winning on Saturday? Uh, I'll, well, I'll go with uh, Seattle. Um, just, just because they've been there so often, and uh, I mean, they've got uh, they've got winning down to a, to uh, to a T now. Um, you know, Columbus is at home, so uh, I, I guess the game, according to the odds makers, is pretty close to a toss up. But uh, but I'll, I'll go Seattle. Uh, as far as twenty twenty one. Um, yeah, I, I, it's hard to envision what sports and MLS is going to be like next year uh, because there are so many unknowns about uh, 
the, the virus and whether or not you get people back in the stands and uh, how you can conduct training camps and is everybody going to be able to get vaccinated? I, there's some, yeah, I, I think the fire team as they're currently constructed um, is probably right around where they finish this year, somewhere in between uh, seven, eight, maybe uh, as far as uh, competing for a playoff spot. Uh, if somehow uh, Ali Seda is uh, better than what he showed last year and he can justify that DP spot, maybe they're higher, but maybe, maybe you know, like uh, Heights is gambling that um, continuity will um, pay off uh, after a year of guys playing together. I, the Tweed Thornton used to have a uh, carryover minutes uh, <laughs> a section back in the day that uh, uh, lent some credence to the fact that the you know, guys that play together longer are naturally going to be um, uh, provide better results. But, um, you know, MLS is, like I said, the, the, the differences between rosters are, uh, aren't huge. So there's not uh, something can be, can be that, that can't be overcome, but uh, you can't miss on your DPs. Your DPs have to be game changers, and I'm not sure the fire have that right now. Brian, you were up next. Who you got Saturday, and uh, what are you looking forward to? Uh, Tottenham 2, Arsenal 0. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to do that. Uh, yeah, uh, I have uh, Seattle, too. Uh, just too much experience there. Uh, hard, they're going to be riding the wave of what happened Monday night. Uh, that that's a heck of a way to go into uh, a cha MLS Cup. Um, it was Monday, right? I'm starting to lose track of days. Yeah. But, yeah, it was Monday. Yeah, it's going to be uh, – Seattle's going to win that. And then for me, um, not really exactly fire, even soccer-related, but if you – I just don't know whether sports is more important in this time of great uncertainty or less important. Like, are people more interested in sports now because, gosh, the rest of the life sucks? Or are they less interested in sports because it's not important whenever there's so much important stuff going on and everything is so exhausting to be a citizen of this world? I don't know. And it's, it's something I wrestle with. I know it's something a lot of other people wrestle with. Are sports more or less important? And is it more or less important for people to enjoy the fire, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Bears, the Bulls, whoever? Um, I don't know. And that's so, I, I, something that maybe I need to write longer one day, but I just don't know whether sports matters more or less right now. And when I get an answer, I'll let everybody know because I'm not sure. And um, it's something that I really don't have an answer to because – I love sports. I don't love just soccer. And, but I just don't find myself as interested in things in sports as I used to. Um, maybe I'm not alone in that, but uh, just so much going on. You're, you're definitely not alone. The, the, uh, the diversion is probably more important than the um, scope of the importance. And again, entertainment and diversion is important to people, and we can use some of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I find myself, I'll watch Tottenham, and I'll watch the Bears. But, like, I won't watch other NFL games. And I used to watch a lot of Premier League games, and I just don't right now. I'll watch, um, of course, all the other Chicago teams as well. But, uh, like, I won't watch extra games. Like, there was an NFL game today, a couple games yesterday. 
just didn't watch them. That's it, just um, – I just don't find myself having the energy right now for sports that aren't Chicago teams, teams I cover, or Tottenham Hotspur. So. Watch, the, watch the Mandalorian, Brian. <laughs> I am not a Star Wars guy, and you know that, Guillermo. <laughs> you know that. Watch it anyway because it's good. After you watch Ted Lasso, if you haven't watched Ted Lasso. Oh, yet. I have watched that. I, had, I loved nine of the episodes. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Here's two sports in 2021 feeling more like the joy we're used to and less like simply a distraction from the other crap. Uh, Jeremy, you're up next. Uh, who you got Saturday and uh, thoughts for the future? I'll go against the grain and say uh, the crew will close out Matt Free Stadium with a victory somehow. I don't know. I've, honestly, this game is one of those that's like – I think if you're a fire fan, you're seeing Seattle, who invented soccer, take on <laughs> Columbus. There's a you know a rival. It's like it's really not a great match for fire fans, right? But we'll give a shout out to the first soccer specific stadium in MLS and say that you know Matt Free Stadium will see a home victory. Um, in terms of next year, you know one thing I'm looking forward to. I hope that there is something of a more spread out schedule in MLS because. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but after a while, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, it got exhausting. Like too much. It turned, it turned around. It's like, oh, fire fun again today. It's like, you know what I mean? It was yeah. like uh it's yeah. just it's just bad for all the players too. It's just bad for you know, maybe people like having that much MLS, but I think, you know, realistically, this league, you know, you might want to spread it out a little. Um yeah. you know, and guys too, they're doing the same day travel, so Seattle will have to do that. Um for the final, I think, right? I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like they've changed that for the for Did they change later run. I feel like, yeah. That would have been a crazy uh, thing to do for a championship game, but, you know, I'm lost and I'm lost either way. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, sports and stuff being important, I think this year show that sports are really not important. Um, and if your life is being – destroyed by the bears having bad quarterbacks every year like <laughs> then you're doing well in life yeah for for one right but also like just like read a book or something man like, get a different hobby you know what i mean like you know it, it, i think this year kind of showed you know sports really aren't as important as we think they are they're a nice distraction but they're not life and death you know no. so hopefully and next year it just goes back to fun but we don't take them too seriously right and the schedule thing uh doing all these uh post games uh zooms with you guys uh i was hearing your guys voices more than i like heard my wife's you know like twice a week good lord uh how many times can i come up with questions how many times can we all come up with questions but no and i feel like the quality of play will be better next year too if the schedule is more normal because playing three times in, in eight days even these guys who are in incredible shape that's going to take a toll and uh I wonder if anybody's done any studies about injuries this year in, in, in MLS or as we could see in the Premier League and other leagues, guys just, you know, there's going to be weird results all across leagues in Europe. Uh, there's going to be a lot of injuries as the season wears on in Europe, I think. And I'll uh, just be glad to get a little bit of, norma of normalcy back, um, as Jeremy said, next year. I agree with that point. Pat, uh, who you got? Um, and, uh, thoughts, thoughts going forward, thoughts for, for 2021 in, in any way you want to take that. Uh, for Saturday, it's hard to pick against Seattle, but I will, um, I'm going to take the crew. 
to close out Matt Parade just because, you know, other than 2013, which I like to forget, that's a special place, at least in men's national team history. And so that, that place kind of has a special place in my heart. And, and I hate the crew, but, you know, I, I think they're going to do it. Worst, um, the worst press box in MLS, by the way. It's, it does it, – the last time I was there, it, I realized that it kind of just felt like a glorified – high school football stadium like it wouldn't even qualify as a high school football stadium in texas um but yeah uh as for 2021 it's there was a couple times piggybacking off what a couple of you guys said where i would get out of my car at the waldron deck and there's just no one there and you just walk up and it's quiet and like one person rolls by on a bike and i kind of felt like what what are we doing like what is like we're going to a massive stadium that's empty to watch a game that no one else gets to see in person um I really hope that fans are allowed back next year in some form. And I hope that's because we've done things correctly with the vaccine and it's actually a good idea for that to happen. I do not want to see fans back if it's rushed and stupid, like some of the other States did, but um, the whole point of this is to be played in front of people. Um, And I'm, I'm glad we were all, you know, we were able to keep it going and, and we all did our part to, you know, keep the people informed or whatever, uh, you know, when they couldn't be there. But it, it just felt stupid sometimes to be there. It felt weird for sure every time to be there. So I hope that we're back to somewhat closer to normal, even if that means the fire are still bad. <laughs> I guess that's normal, right, um, at this point. But... <laughs> Um, I, I hope that at least there are people there that are enjoying themselves before the game starts. So that's my wish for 2021. Yeah, just going to sporting events this year since March 11th um, was, was weird. Uh, and that's a good point that you mentioned. I remember walking up to Soldier Field the first game, eerie, eerie, eerily quiet. You could hear the din of Lakeshore Drive, and that's it. That's it. We've all covered soccer games at Soldier Field. Um, we've all covered events at Soldier Field, um, covered like Mexican national team games, U.S. national team games, Gold Cup, Copa America, other friendlies. There's always an atmosphere. There's always a, a party atmosphere at Soldier Field. And to walk up those stairs and, and see the, the George Hallis and Walter Payton statues and then just hear nothing is weird. It is really, really weird. I covered a bunch of games on both sides of town. And I covered a bunch, a uh, bunch of fire games. You, I never got used to it. Never once. There wasn't one game that went by when I didn't think this is bleeping weird, and it didn't feel right. It really just didn't feel right. And um, yeah, it it was just a weird experience this year. And um, well, I'm glad that I had, but I'm not sure if I will look back on it fondly or not. Yeah, you still had all the PA guys getting jacked up. <laughs> you know, for an empty stadium. And it was just like, they're pumping in sound. And it's like, you know, if you're going to be in an empty stadium, just like embrace the, embrace ghost, the weird. ghost town in. You know, it's like, you don't need to, the players don't need you to pump in sound to make it seem like normal to them. It they know was they're loud too. Like, it, they weren't like, <laughs> they were playing the sound at full volume that they would play, play it if people were there. So it was, it, that made it even weirder, yes. The music at Wrigley Field, even between batting practice and the game itself, was so loud you couldn't transcribe. It, you could, and I did not understand why that was. It was weird. I, I did, it was very weird. And it just weird experience. But, again, 
if that's the worst thing that we have to compl- yeah. to, to complain about, then you we're know, doing like, okay. Doing okay. Um, I'll close it up by saying as far as MLS Cup, I have attended two sporting events at Matt Frey Stadium. The first was a fire. Yeah, the first was a fire against Columbus Crew game to open the MLS season in 20, 2017. Uh, the fire lost. It was uh, not a fun day for those in attendance rooting for Chicago. And the second game I attended there, as Pat alluded to, was a freezing cold, hellish November evening Yes, where the United States lost to Mexico. So I have no love lost for that stadium. Well, it would be very crew for the crew fans. I'm picking Seattle. They are just too damn good. Uh, they're going to win again. Um, but Jossie's artist isn't going to score. That's I don't know why I think that, but I just, I just feel that Jossie will score. Um, off his ear. Yeah, or something else weird, or off his butt. Yeah. We've seen that too. Um, as far as 2021, I'll second you guys. I, I, I think it'll happen. And, you know, by the end of 2021, other people besides us will be watching these games in person. And that will, that will help. That will help things feel a lot normal. Um, going back to a recent podcast I did, I hope the Chicago NISA team, that former fire, you know, number one man, Peter Wiltz, is helping start. I hope they find a footing and find success. Um, you know, more soccer, the better. Um, you know, obviously I hope the fire get better, but you know, we, we don't really know. So the only soccer guarantee of any sort I'm going to give for 2021 is that the United States men's national team will qualify for the world cup and we can all move forward with not having to live with the shame of famous COVID, last words of COVID Trinidad ever again. Um, on that note, I'm going to wrap things up here. This has been, this has been fun guys. Um, you know, this has not been the best year all around, but you know, just to, uh, to be able to still just be here, talk with you guys about soccer is about as normal as it's going to get, I think for a while. So here is to a shitty year. I'll be the guy to swear on this podcast. And you know, now you've done it like myself, 2020 fanity, Alex, how could you swear like that? 2020 as somebody go, who never swears. Alex, I, I never swear stop. at sporting events. This is the important thing. At sporting events that I'm in a professional capacity. Um, so yeah, uh, here's here's to here's to 2021. Good riddance 2020, um, and hopefully in in greener times, in greener pastures, I should say, we will talk soccer again soon. So uh, Pat McCraney, Jeremy McCoola, Brian Sandalo, Guillermo Rivera, thanks all you guys so much, and uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, all the best to you guys, and we'll talk soon.